Well, it's like we always say, like, my relationship with God, it's, uh, it's not private, but it is certainly personal. I don't see him as being human, so you can't have a human relationship with him. Naniniwala ako na tayo mayroong personal na relationship sa Diyos dahil sa scripture at sa pagmamahal natin sa anak niyang si Jesus. There are people who believe that that uh, uh, what shirt I put on this morning, that, that God cared what shirt I put on. That's nonsense. I do think God is so big and so vast that um, we'll never get to know him exhaustively. I felt like I heard a voice from heaven speak to my situation and tell me that everything was going to be okay. And I've lived a blessed life since then, since turning my life to God. You have to experience it for yourself. I think it's, it's something hard to describe unless you're actually willing, willing to go there. As Zach mentioned, we are in our final week of Explore God, and for those who have been exploring with us, we are so glad that you've chosen to be with us here at High Point. And I invite you to come back next week as we start a new sermon series entitled Good Clean Living. What does it mean to live a good, holy, righteous, just, and generous life? So those will be the five weeks as we kind of unpack what it means to live for God. Alan Saunders in Reader's Digest wrote this years ago. Life is what happens to us while we're making other plans. And isn't that true? She's 43, the mother of three kids, been divorced for 10 years, and now she serves as a bookkeeper at the local construction company. He's 55, a former executive, and never dreamed that he'd be working at Home Depot. But his life is a life that happens when plans are interrupted. Hers is not the life that she planned on living or the life that she continues to plan for, but it's just the life that is. She was a vocalist and knew she had tremendous talent dreamed one day of displaying this talent on the big stage, of traveling the world and everyone knowing her name. She did travel around the city, but she never made it out of her local environment. Hers is a life she never had planned on, but it was a life that happened while she was making other plans. Then there's the athlete that was bound. Everyone told him to go to the NFL. Now as a high school coach, then you think of the architect who was going to be the next Frank Lloyd Wright, but now she's designing buildings for the state. They have good lives, and they're decent lives. It's just not the lives that you envision. And don't we have that same experience? It's not that we don't like our, our lives, but it's just kind of, man, we go through wins and losses, and we have good years and bad years, and it's the accumulation of these moments, these days, these weeks, these months, and a year that somehow cobbled together a life. And it may not be the life that we planned on, but it is the life that is. And so my question for each of us this morning is, what do we do with that? What do we do with that reality? How do we live at peace and remain content when our expectations, as you head out from high school and go to college, they're up here. Everyone tells you you have the potential. But then as reality comes in, somewhere right here, how do we deal with that reality? 
because our vision for life is one thing, but reality is some version or iteration of that, but is not what we had hoped for. How do we know in life if we're missing out? How do we know if we're truly living? You know, when Conan O'Brien lost his late-night gig hosting The Tonight Show after only seven months, in a rare moment of straight talk with his viewers, as he was signing off for the last time, he explained that he had been through the rigors up and down with NBC, and he was losing his lifelong dream to host a Tonight Show. Here's what he said, trying to protect his viewers. All I ask is one thing, and I ask this particularly of the young people who watch. Please don't be cynical. I hate cynicism. For the record, it's my least favorite quality. It doesn't lead anywhere. Nobody in life gets exactly what they thought they were going to get. But if you work really hard and you're kind, amazing things will happen. I think there's a lot of wisdom there. But Conan O'Brien may not have fulfilled his lifelong dream, or at least didn't get to continue that lifelong dream. But if you think about it, he's done pretty well. His lifelong dream was, well, it's just a few channels away. But what if our life is not at all like we had planned? What do we do with that reality? Uh, how do we maintain our sanity and a sense of peace in the midst of that? Well, that's our question for this morning. How can we relate in this life? And can we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father? So I want us to look at five key passages. And I warn you, some of them are not pleasant. But they're foundational to who we are in our relationship with God. The first comes in John 10, in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus warns us that there's this thief that comes in and steals what we had hoped would happen in our lives. And, you know, you want your life to look like a certain way, and you want it to do things and to be things and experience some things, but yet there's this thief that comes in and robs that life from us. And Jesus wants to tell us that's not your heavenly Father. He's not the thief that robs the life, the things that's most important in life. He says, I didn't come to do that. I came, what? To give you life and to give you real life. I want you to have life and have it to the full. Okay? We like that, don't we? God says, well, I want to give you this great life. But in reality, we need to ask kind of a qualifying question, don't we? Okay, Jesus, what exactly is this life to the full that you're describing? You know, if my wife, Jill, tells the kids, I'm going to make the most incredible meal of your life, Maggie will give her a little bit of grace. Colby takes a step back and says, hold on, hold on. Before you start preparing this meal of a lifetime, tell me exactly what this is. Because for Colby, the meal of a lifetime would involve uh, ribs, uh, Pringles, and sweet tarts for dessert, right? I mean, that, that's kind of his design of a perfect meal. And he knows Jill may be thinking of grilled tilapia, mixed vegetables rolled up in bamboo leaves. And he's like, that's not exactly the perfect meal that I had in my mind, right? So Jesus comes along and says, folks, I love you. And I want to give you this wonderful life, life to the full. 
We need to ask the question, hold on, Jesus, before you give us that, what exactly are you talking about? Okay, well, in the same book, a few chapters over in the Gospel of John, he answers that question in John chapter 17 and verse 3. This is eternal life. So for those that have read earlier when he's talked about this in chapter 10, our antennas should go up and go, okay, he's answering that question. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Can I really know God personally? The answer to that, simply put, is yes. So Jesus tells us the whole crux of this thing from start to finish is about knowledge of God and having this relationship with him. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are thinking, Green beans, I know it's probably good for me. It's not exactly what I had in mind, right? It's not what I had envisioned. Because in, in my mind, life is going to be this, this big adventure. And, and we kind of play it out in our mind. I'll do this in, in my teens, in my 20s, in my 30s. And then when those plans don't quite measure up, we feel disappointed. But Jesus comes along and says, well, it's okay I'm going to allow you to pray. We're going to tear the curtain back. You'll have access to God. That's going to be great. Is that what it means to live life? I was kind of hoping for something more, right? If you remember the first week of our Explore God series, we asked the question, what is life's purpose? Or can you determine if there is a purpose? And for some people, if you're honest, you're like, I don't know. You know, we're born and we live and then we die. If we can figure out something along the way, great, but most of us don't. And whether that discussion helped anyone else, it really helped me. Because I had to come up here and stand before you and talk about life's purpose. And so for me, as I'm kind of wrestling this, I first had to say, why did God create us? Because if I understand why he did that, then I might be able to understand what my purpose is in response to why God decided to do that. And so to understand that, I went back and began thinking, and there are some times where Jill and I ask ourselves this, why do we want to have kids, right? You know? And there was a reason why we decided to have kids, and it wasn't to have someone to mow the lawn, right? It wasn't have someone to do our dishes, because that never happens, right? Okay? You know, there was a time where children were a necessity. You had the back 40 that had to be plowed and a harvest brought in. Some of you guys still do that. But our our kids are not a necessity. They're a luxury, right? And so we wanted to have children for the joy of having kids. We wanted to know them. Uh, We wanted to enjoy them. And we wanted to do life with them. We also wanted them to know us and to enjoy us and do life with us. Jill and I are fun people, right? So that's why we decided to do this. And so when I think about why God created us, you know, in giving birth to humanity, I think there's something similar going on with him that there was with my wife and I. He wanted a people to know and a people that would know him. 
a people to enjoy and also a people that would enjoy him. He designed us and created us for relationship. So when we start talking about the purpose of life, it comes down to that. It's about a relationship. And that's what Jesus points to. He says, this life, everything about it, is so that you may know him. If you only knew this father that I sat on his right hand, that's, nothing else matters down here. Know God, and everything else will make sense. That's the whole purpose of all of this, to be in relationship. You know, when I was in middle school, we started dreaming about cars and different things, and I had saved up a bunch of money mowing lawns. And so my dad and I decided to get a car, uh, and, and we built this thing. It was a kit car, and so we had an old Volkswagen, and we got a new chassis, and, you know, we put all this stuff on it. But my dad had a rule. He said, son, I know a lot more about doing this than you do. And he said, but I'm never going to go out in the garage and work unless you're beside me. Because my father knew something I didn't know. For me, it was about, we've got to get this car done. Hey, Dad, you've got some time here. I'm going to do this. Can you work on it on Saturday? Nope. I've got a clear schedule, but I'm not going out there. He knew that that was going to be time that I could have with him and he could have with me. It was about this relationship. Well, that car is long gone. Who knows who has it now if it's even still running. But I have those memories I have in my father all to myself for hours in this garage. It was something that we did together. And that's what really matters. You know, when I think about college, I, I really don't think about classes I went to or meals I had at the ACU Bean. What do you remember? You remember college friends. And you remember connecting them. You remember the, the laughs and sharing life together. You remember those relationships. And when we are told the good life, eternal life is about relating to our creator it's because our faith is not about whether we show up at bible class or not it's not even about worship or, or some type of external thing all those are means so that we're we come into community with other people that are pursuing the same relationship that jesus says is crucial to all of life and so we're out there in the world where people are pursuing other things and it's so good for us to come back in here and say, we're with people that are not perfect, but they're at least pursuing the same things that are crucial to our life that Jesus said gives it meaning. We're gathering with other people that are seeking to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's what it's all about. God didn't create us to do his dishes. You know, he did not dream us up so we would have work for us to do. Yes, there's work involved in a relationship, and we work on that relationship. But he didn't create us out of dirt for that. He created us to draw us closer to him, which brings us to our third passage. And I warned you earlier, it's intentionally kind of disturbing. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 through 20 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, but because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse." Wrath of God? 
Come on, preacher, you were just talking about how much he loves us, wants to be in a relationship. It's this wonderful friendship, this thing that we should. Then you get back to wrath of God. You know, um, other people will ask, why is there this angry God? Or some people will look at that and go, well, that's for someone else. You know, good, I'm glad there's God's wrath. Because this is going to be poured out on mean and evil folks like your English teacher, right? You're like, she's going to get it, right? That's what she deserves. But that would be great if not for the context of the passage. Because a few verses later in Romans 2 and verse 1, it says, You, all of us, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. This passage is not about bad folks in history. It's It's about all of us. But there's a part of us, when we read this passage, we wonder if this idea about God's judgment is kind of a throwback. I mean, did Paul forget he's writing on this side of the cross? I mean, this is kind of some Old Testament smackdown stuff. Is this really, it seems kind of antiquated. We live in a time when a lot of people will readily admit their faults. Yep, my bad, I blew it. But we also live in a time that rejects the idea that there should be any consequences or or some sign of judgment for those faults. I'll admit that, you know, I have my shortcomings, but you have your shortcomings too. Remember the whole log in the eye? So back off, right? We don't like that. We don't like judgmental people. We don't like people to judge us, and we certainly don't like being accused of judging or passing judgment on others. We want to be known as an accepting people. And if God is this judge, and God is this person that looks at our actions and gives thumbs up or thumbs down, we're not sure we want to follow this God. We don't want to have these standards. And and we read about this passage about the wrath of God, and you're like, that's ugly. Brad, why is this one of the five passages you want us to look at? Let me explain it this way. I like going out on boats. I've never owned a boat, but I've had access to lake houses and stuff, and, and people are nice to take our family out from time to time, hint, hint, you know? And, <laughs> and we like going out on other people's boats and letting them pay insurance and everything else. Okay, we don't want to own a boat. <laughs> but let's just say, for sake of argument, that you own a very nice boat, you put a lot of money into it, you maintain it well, and you find out that I like going out on the lake, which I do, and so you invite the Cox family to come out, and we're like, well, we really appreciate that, I appreciate your offer, but we've got something that time. Would it be okay if I just borrowed it next weekend? So you're like, okay, he's a preacher, I'll let you have it, you know? And so I show up at your house at 7 o'clock on, on Friday night and hook up your very nice boat that you take very good care of to my little Tacoma, go heading off towards the lake. And before I pull out, um, I, I ask, hey, when do you need the boat back? You said, well, after church, you know, on, on Sunday, I'm going to take some other people out. Um, so anytime this evening would be great. I said, well, how about 7 o'clock? We'll go out for a day, and then I'll bring it back. And you said, well, that'd be fine. Well, 7 o'clock rolls around, no boat. You know, well, it'd run a little bit late, you know, getting it clean. You know, who knows? 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, nothing. 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 
you start to get a little panicky, so you call, but I don't answer my cell phone. And you're like, what's going on? About midnight, you just give up and say, forget it. I'm going to bed. And so the next day, you, you wake up and you get a little text that says, hey, I'm going to keep the boat another day if that's okay. You're like, I thought we had this arrangement where you bring it back. But there's no picking up the phone or anything. And so you're just kind of steaming there. And, and then that night rolls around 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, no boat, 10 o'clock, 11. Where is this guy? Finally, you give up Sunday night and go to bed. You wake up Monday morning, and you walk outside, and there's your boat. Well, it has no cover on it like it was when you sent it out. There are empty soda cans and, you know, food wrappers all over the place. There's a few wet towels kind of crumpled up in the floorboard. There's a broken ski rope. There's an inner tube that's flat. It's dirty. The boat is trashed. And you're thinking, what in the world happened here? And you go grab the key that's in the ignition. You turn it just a little bit, and that gas it doesn't move. It's sitting on E. There's no message from me. There's no thank you note, no apology. There's no nothing. And so you wait. You wait to hear from me. A week goes by. Two weeks goes by. The third week, I finally uh, call you up, and I said, hey, I need the boat again. Can I come by at 7 o'clock to pick it up? Can you get it ready? What are you going to say to me? Uh, start by saying no, and please don't put anything in front of no, okay? <laughs> but then I ask you, why? And you do your best to contain yourself. You still have to go to church here, right? And so you try not to blow your stack, and you want to tell me and explain how I took advantage of you, how I trashed your boat, how I ignored your request to go out with you, and you ignored when I tried to get a hold of you, and I just come across as being unappreciative. Now I seem entitled to the boat. I'm not even asking you. I'm just telling you when I'm showing up, to which I respond, you're so judgmental. Uh, why are you making such a big deal about this boat? And you explain by saying, it's not that boat or this boat. It's my boat, right? And so I generously shared the boat with you, and look where it's gotten me. Do you understand? So here's the thought. What if this world and this life that we live in is God's boat? You know, he created, he dreamed it up, he brought it into existence. He owes us nothing. He's given us everything. There's not a breath that I've taken that doesn't come from our Heavenly Father. And so all too often we treat our life as if it's our life and our boat, and we can treat it any way that we want to, right? And who is God that should be able to tell me how I should live my life and treat other people and interact this world, God responds, is my world. I created it and brought it into existence. And I brought you into existence. And look how you've treated this. Fourth passage, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. We, be, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Right? We're deserving to be kicked off this boat permanently. 
Don't even ask about it, right? That's what we deserve. And so, you know, when we start talking about eternal life, it doesn't seem fair when we have conversations that someone would be excluded from this life, excluded from being with God in all of eternity. Why would God do that? It seems harsh and judgmental. But here's the thing. If we want nothing to do with God in this life, why in the world do we want to be with him in the next? Why do we do an about face? It's, it's almost like God is saying, I'm going to give you exactly what you wanted, a life free of me for eternity. That's what God is, is saying. That's what we deserve. If you don't want anything to do with me, why start now? You know, we want the boat. We want nothing to do with the owner of the boat. You, know, you ignored my desires and wishes the first go around. What makes you think it's going to be different the second time? But Ephesians 2 verse 4 and 5 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. So we receive God's love, we receive God's grace, we receive God's mercy. It's what God wants to give us. He wants us to be in relationship and to enjoy and to be enjoyed by Him. And for us to know Him and be known by Him. Yes, you know, to one degree or another, you know, we have acted entitled to what He's given us. But we belittle His generosity to us. You know, we damage the boat, but He doesn't want to withhold the keys from us. The fifth passage is 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 15 and verse 3. Christ died for us. That's it. We deserve to be kicked off that boat, don't we? Jesus says, how about I do it so that you can remain in relationship with my Father and keep experiencing life with him? Does God judge? Only in a sense of administering true justice does God display love beyond what we can imagine, love beyond what we deserve. You know, by providing a way for us to stay in relationship with him, to know him and experience him, boy, when we clearly don't deserve it. You know, I ask the question, how do we know if we're truly living out on life? How do we know if we're not missing out on, on something, on, on the real life that's offered? Jesus says you live for relationship with the Heavenly Father. No matter how everything else goes, whether you go through ups or downs, whether you get the job or you lose the job, whether you can come out of the hospital with your loved one or not, God says, I just want to go through those ups and downs, the highs and lows with you. And so our Heavenly Father, what Jesus is saying here, he's extending this hand down, and he's looking for us to put a hand up, saying, Lord, I don't know exactly what's going to happen in this life. There's no guarantees. The things that other people run after won't last, but I know this will last. I know this relationship is being offered up to me. And we have a choice. That hand is extending down for each one of us. And we have to choose, are we going to keep aimlessly pursuing other things? Or are we going to say, Lord, I, I don't know. I don't know what this means, but I'm grabbing a hold. 
I'm holding on for the relationship in this life, a relationship that's going to grow and develop. I, I want to be that father. I want you to be my father next to me in the garage working on this car. I, I want us to talk about life. I want us to go through life. I want us to experience things. Lord, I, I want to put everything through the filter of your son, Jesus, because I know that's what gives me the ability to reach. So our question for us today is, are we going to grab a hold? We've talked about experiencing God. This is everything I know to share and to convince you he loves you beyond measure. He's putting his hand down saying, will you grab a hold? And that's our question for this morning. If you'd like to respond to Jesus, we ask you to come now as we stand as we sing. There's a stirring deep within me.